Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 to 17. And today we're just going to be part A. This is a message that's going to be taken over two weeks. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Righto, well, today we're going to be talking about the Christian church. Uh, not the church as an institution, but the church as the gathered people of God. And we're not going to be looking at the church with all of its blemishes and all of its ugliness, but we're going to be looking at the church as Christ intends us to be. Um, you see, we've been talking in part about the coming kingdom of God and the hope of glory that we are saved to. Uh, back in chapter 1, verse 13, we read, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, that's the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, we, we have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But the kingdom of God is something which is both now but not yet. Right, so the kingdom of God will come fully in all of its completeness on the day of the Lord when Jesus returns and he'll judge the wicked and he'll establish his new kingdom here on earth forever. And the only ones who are going to be in this kingdom are the saints. It's those that he has saved. It's those who have their faith in him. It's those who are eagerly waiting for his return. But that's the finale. right? That's When we think about that aspect of the kingdom of God, that's the finale. But the kingdom of God begins right now. And the strange thing is, and what might surprise some people, is the kingdom of God comes now in the form of the church. The Christian church is the worshipping community of those who belong to Jesus. Right? So if you belong to Jesus, you should be part of, a, of, a, of the whole community who belong to Jesus. And we are part of the Christian church. 
you know, even a lot of people who call themselves Christians today hate the church. And they don't want to have anything to do with the church. And they all have their reasons why. Some of them, it's because they've been hurt. And somebody in the church has sinned against them. And they haven't been able to come to a place of forgiveness towards them. For others, it's because they, they don't want to have to love the people in the church that they find it hard to love. Because not everybody in the church, we are going to find it easy to love. And we're going to be touching on some of this stuff today. Last week, we talked about how we as Christians, we as disciples of Jesus, take off the old self with all of its evil practices and we put on our new self, uh, which is being renewed in the image of Christ. Right? We, we shouldn't um, see that we are uh, the same as what we once used to be. Now, can you imagine how wonderful it would be to be part of a community who have truly taken off the old sinful self um, with, with all of its wicked ways. To be part of a community who have taken off anger, they've taken off wrath. There is no malice or slander there because that's been taken off too. No obscene talk. And imagine that, that it didn't stop there. Imagine that that community then has put on Christ and this isn't an airy-fairy, wishful thinking. This is the Christian church as we are meant to be. All right. So now, when we start thinking of the church being like that, a group of people who have all taken off our evil ways and we've put on Christ and we're being transformed to be like him, all of a sudden the church doesn't sound so bad, does it? It's a wonderful thing. And this is what God has chosen us for. And he truly has chosen us. Verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Do you realise that this is how the church of Christ, this is how Christians, this is how disciples of Jesus are being described. They are God's chosen ones. They are holy they are beloved. Right? Now, now, most of us probably don't have a problem with that. But the challenge comes for us to stop thinking individually. You know, we, we've become a generation who are very individualistic. We, we want to hear about ourselves and we're not so interested in everybody else. I want to know what's in this for me. How am I going to be changed? How am I going to be rewarded? And we stop thinking about everybody else. And you know what? The problem is we preachers, we're very happy to feed that. Um, we're willing to dish this up because that's what people are increasingly want to hear. And so, because I want to hear, I'm chosen by God. That, that sort of pumps you up a bit, doesn't it? I want to hear, I'm holy. That pumps you up a bit, doesn't it? I want to hear that, that I'm beloved because that'll pump me up a bit too. But this isn't being said to an individual. This is being said to a church. And this is telling me more about others in the community of Christ than what it's telling me about me myself. The church are God's chosen ones. Now that, that must surely transform the way you view other people in the church when you view them as God's chosen ones. 
the gathered worshipping community of Christ is holy. The fellowship of the redeemed are beloved. Right? So the church is described as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. But I wonder if your mind has actually connected a few dots here. Who else in the scripture is described as God's holy one? Who's chosen as God's chosen one? Who's described as God's beloved? Jesus. Jesus Christ is described as God's chosen one, and so is the church. Jesus Christ is described as holy, and so is the church. Jesus Christ is described as beloved, and so is the church. And this really shouldn't come as a surprise to us because last week we heard, and we, I think we had it then again in the reading just now, Christ is all and in all. And in this, he's talking about the church. And this is what makes Christian fellowship beautiful and wonderful because we take off the old sinful self and we are now put on the new self we are being renewed in Christ. And so there's going to be less and less of the flesh and more and more of Christ in us. There is Christ in you and Christ in you and Christ in you and Christ in you. And the love of Christ in me loves you. And the love of Christ in you loves me. This is how the church is meant to be. A beautiful beautiful expression of God's kingdom right here on this earth. And as such, the church is like a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God. Now, some of you might be hearing what I'm saying and going, <laughs> that's not the experience of the church I've had. Well, we're, we're, we're going to go into this more and we're going to be seeing this week and next week why some of these reasons are. So, last week, we had two separate lists of what we call vices, right? So, vices are things that we do that we don't want to do, um, but they're hard not to do, right? They're evil things, things of the flesh that we need to take off. Um, and we don't want to be characterised by these things anymore. This week, we have a list of virtues, that's good things, the way that we should be, a list of virtues that we are to put on. And when I say put on, it's not like, oh, he's, not putting, he's just putting this on. He's not really like this. Um, we're talking about this is a clothing image. We take off our old self. We put on our new self. We totally changed it. it, it we're totally somebody different. So put on then, in verse 12, as God's chosen ones holy and beloved. What are we to put on? Well, the first one is compassionate hearts. Uh, by the way, the Greek word there actually isn't hearts. Um, a closer word would be bowels. Put on compassionate bowels, everybody. Uh, you can understand why they changed it to hearts. Um, but basically, what, what he's saying is with Christ in us, as the church, it is right and it is beautiful to feel gut-wrenching compassion 
for those who grieve and for those who hurt. That's the sort of compassion we are to feel. Not just a, oh, yeah, I'm a bit sorry, but for us to feel gut-wrenching compassion for them. It's a deep, deep sensitivity towards the emotions and feelings and needs of others. And we put on kindness. Kindness. We love kindness, don't we? Yeah? Yeah? Put up, put up your hand if you love kindness in people. Most of you do. All of you do. We love kindness. But the thing is, we need to realise that kindness isn't like putting on a mask of niceness. Um, we're talking about genuine kindness here. It's where you take time to be with people. It's where you don't tear other people down. When you have the opportunity to stick the boot in, you don't. You're just kind. Humility. Humility is lowliness of mind. Now, we live in an age where humility is often seen as a weakness. And we're now seeing more and more programs to try and lift up anyone who might suffer from having low self-esteem. Um, but the problem is we don't do a lot to stop those who have way too high a self-esteem. We don't do anything to try and lower that a bit. Um, and the result of this is sociologists today are telling us that we are becoming um, increasingly a generation of narcissists, where we think so highly of ourselves. We put ourselves above others. We think that we are so much better than everybody else, and we walk all over people. Whereas humility is about having a sober judgment of ourselves and not pretending that we're lowly, but being keenly aware that in Christ we are one. So in the church, the spiritual gifts that I have are no better than the spiritual gifts that you have. They're just different. And the spiritual gifts you have are no better than the spiritual gifts I have. They're just different. I've been born again. So have you. When it come to me, before I was saved, well, my old self wasn't worth saving. The old self was killed. The old self was nailed to the cross, just like you, before you were saved. And now we have Christ living in our hearts. I have Christ living in my heart as you have Christ living in your heart. How could I possibly be better than you? I can't be better than you because you have Christ in you. And the only good that is in me is Christ. And it's pretty hard to beat Christ. And it's not just about individual humility. Remember, we're talking here about the Christian church. And we're talking about humility in the Christian church. Sadly, many, many churches today have jumped onto the marketing bandwagon. And churches are selling themselves. Churches are advertising themselves. We're the best church. Come to our church. You know, join this church. You'll be the best that you can be. This is where you belong. As a church here in Bush Disciples... My hope is that we are filled with humility. 
And yeah, invite people to church. Invite heaps of people to church, but don't you dare tell them, oh, we're the best church in town. Don't you dare tell them that. Because Christ is in every church in town, not just this one. If you want to tell them what sort of church we are, you tell them that we are a church who are keenly aware that we are the wretches that Christ died to save. That's who we are. And so together, we are becoming a new creation in him. That's all we have to boast about. Meekness. That's gentleness. Being considerate. And I want you to understand that meekness is not weakness. Meekness. You can have all of the power and all of the strength of God. But meekness is having this power under the control of the Holy Spirit. As a church, God gives us strength. And by his Holy Spirit, he controls that strength that is in us with this thing called meekness, gentleness. Now, when it comes to humility and meekness, these are virtues that I believe that the church needs to rediscover at this time. Let me give you an example. With COVID and, and, and the government mandates and the rules and regulations, not many of us like them. I don't. I, I hate the rules and regulations. I, I, I find it an imposition that is very unnecessary for many of us. But at this time, I've been hearing preachers in churches basically calling for their people to take up a revolution. They've been saying, we've got to stand up to the government. We're not going to take this. We've got to stand up. We've got to fight. We're not going to let them take our freedoms. Where's the meekness? Where's the gentleness? Where's the humility? And try as hard as I can, I cannot for the life of me ever picture Jesus standing up and saying the same thing. Can you? Can you imagine Jesus standing up in front of this church today and say, righto, we're going to go out now and we're going to protest and we're going to tell the government that they're no good and we've got to stop them from taking our freedoms. That's not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know is the Jesus that Peter knew. And this is the way Peter described Jesus in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Wow. Jesus suffered as an example that we also should suffer. And how did he suffer? 
gently, meekly, humbly. That's the Jesus I know. Meekness and humility rather than standing up for his own rights. And patience, bearing with one another. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Uh, we, we ministers and pastors, we, we sometimes have a secret code. And uh, one of these codes is, I don't know, I'm letting the cat out of the bag here, EGR. It stands for Extra Grace Required. You see, there's always people in a fellowship, and, and not just for ministers, this is for everyone in the fellowship. This is a nice thing for you to, for you to learn, okay? There's always people in a fellowship who are EGRs. There's extra grace required. Some people are easy to love. Some people are harder to love. Some folk, they might be so different to you that if it was in any other setting, you would probably never even meet them. And yet, here in the church, they are your brother and sister in Christ. And so you are so different to, to people within the church, you might never even meet them. You might never associate with them. But because they're in the church, you come together as one. Some folk in the church might be a little odd. Some might be like that plant that Andrew had before, a bit unpolished, a bit prickly. But in the church, we've been chosen by Christ and they have been chosen by Christ too. Because the church is chosen. They are holy. And they are beloved. And so, EGR, that's what he means, extra grace required, when he says to have patience, bearing with one another. In the church, Christ is in all. And so, we are patient with all. And we bear with all. But of course, there's going to be times when we need to forgive. The church can only ever be the church of Jesus Christ when the people who are the church are a people who forgive. Verse 13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Okay, so does, is that okay if we sort of, yeah, you also might forgive. You also may forgive if you feel like it, or you can forgive if you think you can. No. He says you must forgive. If we are a people who have experienced the forgiveness of our Lord, we must be a church who forgive. One, one of the most confronting parables for me um, is the parable of the unmerciful servant. Do you remember that parable? Um, the, the king decided it was time to settle debts and he called all of his servants in and, and, and he called this one servant in to, to settle a debt. And this servant had an enormous debt, right? And when you actually look at the figures, it doesn't jump out, us off, out at us off the page because we're not familiar with their numbers. But this is like, this servant owed this king basically the equivalent of a national debt, right? It's an enormous number. It's like us saying this servant owed a million billion gobble a zillion dollars, right? It's an 
insurmountable amount. He just couldn't possibly pay it back. But the king says, that's okay, I'll forgive you that debt. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty good. But then that servant sort of takes this as a bit of a prompt and goes, hmm, I guess people owe me money. I'd better get them to settle up accounts. And he calls one of his fellow servants in and says, uh, you owe me this. And he said, oh, I can't pay you back. Yeah. And he sends him off to jail until he can pay back. And, of course, when the king hears about this, he's, he's pretty cranky about it. And the king calls in the servant and he says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay back all his debt. And Jesus said, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's, that's a cutting parable, isn't it? And that's why we as a church forgive each other. Because Jesus has forgiven us an enormous, insurmountable debt, something that we could never possibly pay back. We've experienced this forgiveness. What sort of people are we if we don't then forgive others? And if Christ is truly in us, and if we are becoming like Christ, we too have Christ's DNA. And we ourselves become forgiving. And our forgiving of others is critical because our very salvation depends upon it. That's why that parable is so cunning. When we realise that many people withdraw from fellowship and they make that decision because they cannot forgive someone in the church or they go to a different church because they don't want to have to forgive the people in the church they've been in or because they don't want to have to bear with, with those who they find it hard to love. Oh, that person rubs me the wrong way. I'll go and find another church or I won't go to church at all. The thing is, as the church, this is what we do because that's what Christ does. And Christ is in us. And Christ in us forgives. Christ in us loves. Which brings us to verse 14. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I like to think that I keep this pretty well hidden, but some of you may be pretty astute and may have picked up on this, um, but I don't have a lot of fashion sense. I know some of you are laughing because, no, that can't be right. That can't be right. See, I'm not a particularly snappy dresser. I mean, I've noticed the way that super preachers at megachurches dress, and I just, I just don't seem to have their pizzazz. I, I, don't, I don't seem to wear their dark T-shirts, black T-shirts and, and dark jeans. And, and, and what is this? They put, a, they put a sports coat on over a T-shirt. That's, that's a strange thing to my way of thinking. That's, that's different. And... 
And the muscles they have to fill out their T-shirts, they must spend half the week in the gym. I don't know. But so I, I, I know I'm surprising you, but I don't know a lot about fashion. But I do know something about getting dressed. And that is a belt is pretty handy. Where else would you put your pocket knife, right? And the belt, that keeps your shirt tucked in. And some of you are going, Michael, having tucked in shirts went out of fashion years ago. See, uh, yeah, I know, I know. But my mum told me to always tuck your shirt in. And my mum's still living, so tuck my shirt in, I shall. But Paul's giving us an image here about clothes, how we take off the old self, we put on a new self, and now he talks about basically the belt, the thing that binds it all together. And the difference between striving for transformation and, and, and giving an image of, of doing these things and putting on a mask of niceness or whatever and, and true examples of this, the difference of that is love. Love is the belt that binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is what makes the church stand apart from any other worldly institution. Jesus said in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you. What is that commandment? Anyone? That you love one another. Now, just in case you missed that, he then goes on to say, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And just in case you haven't got it yet, he says it a third time, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Compassion isn't pretend when we love. Patience and bearing with one another is perfectly natural when we're filled with love. Kindness meekness, humility are all held together with love. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The peace of Christ is what the church has been called to. Now, this is what he's saying when he says, in one body. This isn't peace which is achieved by avoiding other Christians because I just don't seem to be able to get on with them. Have you noticed that sometimes? Oh, yeah, I just can't handle this person and the only way that I can have peace with them is if I just don't see them. That's not the way of the Christian church. Peace rules in our hearts. The peace of Christ is what is to shape how we think and what we do. And the peace of Christ is what drives us to be this fellowship of love and forgiveness and oneness in Christ that Paul's been describing to us here. And be thankful. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? You know, when we have times of prayer, 
and um, we ask, okay, so what, what are we going to pray for? What, what are we going to be thankful for today? What would be top off of our list today? Oh, we, oh, Lord, we thank you for the rain. Thank you for the running river. We're not so happy about the sand flies, but we'll, we'll cope with them. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. But sometimes I don't think we spend enough time being thankful enough for, the, for what we've received in Christ, the forgiveness, the, the new lives that we have, the being able to take off our old self and the new self that he's given us to be and being thankful for the church, being thankful for those that he has gathered us together with. We have so much to be thankful for. And on that note, we're going to pause and we're going to pick it up again next week as we continue to explore the community of Christ and, and how the community of Christ becomes the community that we've started to picture and why we're not always like the community that we're given the picture of here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you that you have saved us to something so much better than what we were. And Lord, we want to thank you that, that you've been opening our eyes to the beauty of your church. How strange it is that we pray often for your kingdom to come and yet we so rarely pause to, to think or to appreciate the beauty of your kingdom that is expressed in your church. Lord, help us to appreciate Christ in our brother and sister. Help us to love one another to the depth that you've called us to. And may we be a church of gut-wrenching compassion. May we be a church of kindness and humility and meekness. May we be a church that's filled with patience and bearing with one another. May we be a church who forgive and where all of this is bound together with the love that comes from you. Lord, may we be a witness for you through this and may your peace rule who we are and what we do as the one body. Amen.